We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Hawk the Slayer on December 18th, 1980. It was written by Terry Marcel and Harry Robertson, based on a story by the same two guys, which doesn't seem necessary to specify. <laughs> yeah. We get it. You both wrote the script, and the script included the story. We get two paychecks this way. <laughs> Directed by Marcel and released by ITC Entertainment. The cast incurred a number of injuries, with Jack Palance accidentally stabbed by the mind sword in one scene. Nice. And Patricia Quinn, the witch, burned by an overabundance of flash powder in her cauldron. Also, Bernard Breslau hurt his neck when he fell back against the set wall after being drugged late in the film. He was actually drugged? Yes, they drugged him on set because (laughs) everything in this film was real. I don't know if I mentioned that before. (laughs) They they were all method actors. In 1981, a planned sequel, Hawk the Destroyer, was mentioned in Cinefantastique magazine, and the director was quoted that they would begin production in February of 81 with or without ITC Entertainment's involvement. Don't you need the financer to be involved? They assumed they would be able to afford it out of pocket, I suppose. I mean, this one couldn't have cost that much. Yeah, they just reuse all the same matte paintings. It was like, we already have all the clothes and the props. We We don't use What are you going to do? How are you going to stop us? We'll just recycle the food we ate last time on set. In 2015, director Terry Marcel launched a Kickstarter campaign to raise the last $500,000 of a $5 million budget for the film now retitled Hawk the Hunter, which I think makes more sense than The Destroyer mm-hmm. yeah. uh, because he seems fairly peaceful. Pl- yeah. Plus, uh, Conan the Destroyer is kind of like... Yeah, but this was before that. Yeah, but I mean, but sub- it has since come out. You don't right. want to like ride on that. I feel like if you're at, you know... Four million five hundred thousand dollars. You don't really need a Kickstarter. No, to you get don't. That last and big... the fact that they didn't, the movie never came out, means to me that they didn't have four and a half. That's million dollars. exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. The, the 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 rest of the money was not there. If you if all you needed was the finishing funds, you would at least make the movie. Yeah, and just scale some stuff back a bit. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna go to Las Vegas. We're gonna bet this all on black. <laughs> we're gonna bet it all on green because that's the color of the mind sword <laughs> and then it's like but there's only two green oh whatever just do it you always split the zeros hi guys terry marcel writer director of hawk the slayer i'm here today to talk to you about the sequel hawk the hunter we're looking for you hawk fans to come on board and pledge to the sequel we're almost there We just need a little bit more money, and I know you fans will really go for it. Apparently the sequel was intended to feature the same actor who played Crow, but this time with the even more simplified name, Bowman. And another actor playing the Crow character. Okay. Because there's a scene where the two of them... Why can't it just be a different character? I don't know. Why would you name the character Bowman when Crow was a Bowman? To whom do I have the pleasure of addressing myself? 
Crow. I can't wait to work with Terry again on the sequel, Hawk the Hunter. I play an ancient elf called Bowman, and when my character meets the new Crow, uh, it's going to be very emotional, and I can't wait. I'm really excited, and I hope you're excited with me. But I also am so confused because you're like the char- the character is back, but they renamed him and recast him. The, no, it's the the same actor. Oh, <laughs> the same actor plays Bowman, but there's a new person playing Crow. What? What? <laughs> I don't get it. The campaign was unsuccessful because <laughs> he had too much time trying to explain why he was doing this with yeah. Crow and Bowman. And honestly, the pitch sounds about as loosely cobbled together as. Richard Elfman's pitch for Forbidden Zone 2. Yeah. Which is just a mess. It, do, it <laughs> Don't make it. Marcel has spoken since about a potential television adaptation, again titled Hawk the Destroyer. So he's flip-flopped on mm-hmm. the title a couple times. We start with the title card. This is a story of heroic deeds and the bitter struggle for the triumph of good over evil. And of a wondrous sword wielded by a mighty hero when the legions of darkness stalk the land. We see a black horse moving through foggy woods. The rider in black armor unsheaths a sword. And we cut inside a nearby castle where a man in a room wallpapered in gold leaf is staring into the world's smallest jacuzzi. It's like a little square tub of Mm -hmm. fog. As fog is bubbling out of the top like a cubic, like a Minecraft cauldron or uh, or a, just a bed of dry ice. I feel like, yeah, the fog machines were cheaper than set deck. So yes. they're just mm-hmm. like, yep. fog everywhere. We'll just hide the fact that we have no set here. It's also glowing purple. <laughs> a guard in the hallway is quietly destroyed by the man from the horse as he moves through the corridors. This is Voltan played by Jack Palance. He enters the gold room, and (laughs) when he slams the door shut, it looks like part of the set just falls off in the (laughs) foreground. Outside, a second horse is parked next to Voltan's, and its rider runs into the castle also. Voltan is jamming a sword into his father's chest, demanding he share some important secret. A secret, old man. Tell me and I shall let you live. It is my right as your eldest son father in quotes here because these two actors are practically the same age i know i was like hold on at this point i paused the movie i'm like son yeah like you you uh, he looks jack palance looks older than this guy honestly because of the helmet (laughs) he's masking the hair being gray and the Mm -hmm. wrinkles on his face a little bit you really don't see jack palance in much of this movie but he's still an old man yes and i guess you could chalk it up to his injury that's causing him so much pain. It's like, because he keeps talking about how his makes face him, is all messed up. Makes yeah. him feel or look older. But but he was like 60. I mean, he was he was old and without warning. Yeah. When I, I looked it up, they are only four years apart. Yeah, not age. even. <laughs> just just slightly less than four years apart. So, uh, yeah. I, I, I assume this would be like a flashback and we would move forward to explain why he was suddenly old. And nope, no, that doesn't happen. No, his dad just had a very active childhood. I demand the key to the ancient tower. The second rider, presumably Voltan's brother Hawk, begins knocking at the door when Voltan decides that the secret will die with his father and stabs him before leaving. But, but he doesn't, he even doesn't take... hang out to make sure. Yeah, and he doesn't even take the sword. The sword is right there. Yeah. yeah. Like when he said, I want the key to the ancient treasure, I thought he meant an actual key, like a like a door lock key. 
Well, he doesn't like, know what he's talking about either. I don't oh, okay. think he knows what the treasure is. He just knows that his father guards some secret that's powerful. And I don't think we ever know either. <laughs> I think it's just the sword. Is it but the sword? Hawk busts in and rushes to his father's side because he just stabbed him once mm-hmm. and he left him long enough to give the secret power to his brother. It's yeah. like, just hang out long enough to overhear the power mm-hmm. or kill your father. Yeah. How hard is it to kill your father, honestly? Just don't wear a mask. The prophecy's fulfilled, my son. The evil I've spawned will now pollute the land. I have much to tell you. Maybe you should have told somebody. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) About this prophecy. This prophecy doesn't help if you don't write it down. Or killed your son because you knew you spawned evil apparently before this moment. Yeah. (laughs) He tries with his final breaths to teach Hawk the secret. He instructs him to take a stone from his pouch and a sword off of the wall. As Hawk stares at the rock, it begins glowing and floating to the sword. The pommel of the sword is a golden fist, and when the glowing rock is above it, the hand opens and wraps around it. Uh, I actually really liked this, even though yeah. it was clear that, oh, that's a much bigger hand. Yeah, like I, I, but it looks neat. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like they could have gotten like a kid, like a younger kid. That would have been weird. Well, because the hand is like the hand of a full-grown man. Yeah. I don't (laughs) think anyone in this cast was allowed around children. (laughs) Voltan's father explains that this stone is the last of the elven mind stones, but it looks more like a time stone to me. That's what I said. My note here is like, this is some Avengers meets Star Wars shit. Yeah. (laughs) The stone and sword merge into the mind sword, and his father bequeaths the weapon to Hawk. Apparently, the sword was made entirely from steel and actually sharpened enough to be used for murder, hence Palance's accidental stabbing during a duel on set. Hawk thinks the sword to himself, and it flies to him. Hawk promises his father's corpse that his elder brother Voltan will die by this sword. We freeze frame on Hawk gripping the hilt, and drums roll us into our opening credits. An animated Hawk flies out of the Mind Stone and into the camera, and we get our hand-drawn Hawk the Slayer title card with insane synth rock underneath it. Oh, yeah. This, but this oh, yeah. Is, album is amazing. It looks as professionally illustrated as the children title card earlier this year. Well, all the all the matte paintings in this look straight up out of cartoons. Yeah. Although <laughs> the title here, it would make sense for it to have bird claws hanging off of it. Yeah. But it Un- doesn't make sense for the children. We see an injured man with a crossbow stumbling through the woods. We will learn this is Ranulf. He arrives at a matte painting of a house at the foot of a mountain range and crawls up the steps to bang on the door a couple times. A pair of nuns drag him inside and lay him out on a table. They discover he has lost most of a hand in a battle and set about preventing a dangerous infection. Master Ranulf awakes to a meal the next day in what looks like a prison cell or something. I guess it's just a room. And uh, he asks where he is. You are under the protection of Cadenbury with the Sisterhood of the Holy Word. He tells a nun that his village was attacked by Voltan. He alone made it out with his life, but he left some fingers behind. She tells him, oh, we couldn't save the hand. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I knew I didn't bring the hand. So <laughs> Voltan's forces hacked men, women, and children to pieces. Voltan stands outside the mouth of a giant red cave and shouts for a wizard to help him into the night sky littered with lightning bolts. I wasn't totally sure what he's saying here. You promised me all... In return for my 
Sodom! At first I thought he was just forgetting the line. In return for my sword. Um, I think he said sword arm. Yeah, when I looked up the script, I realized he's saying sword arm. And I got very <laughs> excited for a sword arm to show up. Spoiler alert, it never does. Yeah, it would just say sword. Yeah. And my ex. I'm sorry. This movie is so bizarre. Like, it feels like you got thrown into the middle of a movie. Like, yeah. I had to double check a couple times here that I'm like, did I miss something? Yeah. I feel like there was a good 20 minutes of this movie that maybe built up a world or a concept Introduced of what the of hell people. is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should know who they are, right? Like, it just like I felt like we were just thrown smack dab into the middle of a story here, and you're yeah. just like, oh no, you're just in, you just walked into the middle of the movie. Just you, just go with it. Yep. Go. <laughs> a cloaked wizard with glowing green fingernails is silhouetted against a circular red light. Apparently, there's something wrong with Voltan's face, and the wizard tells him in his scraggly voice that he can't really do anything about it because dermatology doesn't exist yet. Each time it gets worse. Your face does not heal. A strange malady affects the flesh. It is beyond all skill to render a permanent cure. Steal yourself. The wizard blasts him with beams for a bit, and it sounds very painful. I, I really like this visual effect, though. Yeah, the, when they them. first introduced the wizard. Yeah, and yeah. like with the red background, and it's just like this piercing red. It almost reminded me of stuff from like uh sin city or because it's just these glowing colors and silhouetted mm-hmm. characters yeah where parts of them are glowing just really harsh contrast yeah it was very neat the sound effect used for this face blast lasers is actually the sound of scaramanga's laser from man with the golden gun nice the wizard tells voltan that he has to kill someone before they can succeed presumably hawk but maybe this ranulf guy he doesn't specify he just says someone's in the way yeah, that's why I'll just keep killing everyone I meet yep. then. Yeah. Well, when I when I knew that we were going to watch this movie and and I saw that Jack Palance was in it, I assumed he was going to be our title hero character of Huck the Slayer. Yeah, you haven't seen not, him as a villain yet? Not the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he did try to kill people. Oh, no, I guess that was the other guy that tried to kill people in without warning. Well, it. I mean, he... He was a hero of sorts. He could be a hero or a bad guy in any given movie. I'm not saying that I... I wasn't I I just being as famous as he is and the only name I recognize from this film sure I assumed he was going to be our like lead hero yeah <laughs> oh there's lots of names I recognize in this film oh okay well there's only one other big name that I recognize and then there's one small name mm. um and then that was it I had three people I mean I guess I would I might have recognized uh you'll, Patricia Quinn you'll know but... more of them when we go through okay. yeah for one for sure yeah a group of soldiers enter the nunnery, led by Voltan. Uh, one of them is his son, Drogo. Uh, they say that they need her help, and the head nun recognizes the man that Ranulf described, that he killed his whole village. Uh, Voltan tries to steal the nun away, but Ranulf appears, warning them away from her. Voltan throws a blade across the room into his chest, wounding him again, but apparently not fatally again. Voltan tells a second nun that he's leaving with this one who they're calling the abbess. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says that he will come back and exchange her for a ransom of 2000 gold pieces. I shall return when next the moon is full. The gold had best be here. If not. 
and then he slices a loaf of bread in half on yeah, a table like, to show like off how barely. tough he is. Um, perhaps inventing sliced bread. I don't know. He leaves with the nun and Ranulf tells them to just pay the ransom or the church will be destroyed. Uh, is this part of the plan to get Hawk? I think so. Or was this just like a money-making scheme? Well, it's <laughs> it becomes more confusing later because it seems like at first it's just bait mm-hmm. for Hawk to come out. But later he seems to really care about this 2,000 gold. Yeah. It's like, why? Why do you <laughs> care about it? Just take what you want for free. Ranulf's only other option is to head to the Holy Fortress at Danesford and speak with the High Abbot for advice on how to proceed. And when he gets there, he finds the abbot who says paying the ransom would create a permanent problem because I'll just keep coming back and asking for more money. That's why you don't negotiate with terrorists. Exactly. So he recalls a warrior of light who might help them, and he gives Ranulf a big token to present to the man to let him know that they need help. By what name is this warrior called? He is called Hawk. We cut to Hawk moving through a swamp. Hawk comes upon a pair of men torturing a woman. They have her bound over a pile of wood, and as they swing a lit torch in her face, they laugh at her. Wait, but can we talk for a moment about his galloping up there? Sure. I believe that this is the this is the scene where we're like we have like all these transparent layers of him. Yes. Riding yeah. Overlapping. On the horse, yeah. Like you know, and and then and then we cut back to these guys in the woods with this woman and then we cut back to him on the horse Mm -hmm. and then we come back to them and then we come back to and every time we come back to him on the horse there's just this triumphant like music coming in that's just really loud and then it cuts back to no music yeah they had to scale it up with just the (laughs) editing and the music because Mm -hmm. there wasn't enough to the story make it dramatic it was so funny i was i was cracking up (laughs) it's like uh lancelot running up to the castle yeah and they keep cutting back and forth (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it felt like this was directed by a 10-year-old boy. Yeah. Like, what What would look cool? I know, just some really neat music, and, like, he's on a horse, but, like, we see him, like, he, like he's riding so fast, there's, like, two of him. Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> a lot of this seems like it was, the dialogue was written by a 10-year-old yeah, boy. the whole thing, yeah. the whole thing. I, that's what I wrote, written and directed by a 10-year-old boy. <laughs> Hawk asks these two men what they're doing, and they insist that the woman is a witch. Does he speak the truth, woman? I like that he's okay with her dying as long as she's actually a witch. She says she was just trying to treat some animals and they misunderstood her actions. If they hadn't interrupted her, the animal would have survived. When it becomes clear to the men that Hawk intends to rescue this woman, they decide to burn him as well. But when the man on horseback fires an arrow at Hawk, the mind sword lights up and hops off of his back into his hand and deflects the arrow into a tree. Great, another witch, is what I would have thought when this happened. The guy on horseback leaves immediately, but the last man standing has a staring contest with Hawk until they kick off a sword fight. Hawk gets the sword to the man's neck and gives him a last chance to escape, but when he attacks again, Hawk cuts him across the belly and moves on to untie the woman. No blood in this movie either. No, they don't even like break the the vest. They Mm -hmm. just slide the knife across the fabric. (laughs) Over a campfire, the woman tells Hawk that she's heard his name before, and she looks into the fire to read his fortune. Didn't this lady say she wasn't a witch? (laughs) (laughs) She tells Hawk that a one-handed man seeks his help with a token. She also sees Voltan and warns Hawk to stay away. She tells him where to find Ranulf and insists that he will need her again, I assume just so that he wouldn't leave her behind. 
but then we get a montage of hawk racing through the woods without her so i guess he didn't bring her well she just seems to appear anywhere she wants to be yeah. anyway yeah. there's also, also piles of skeletons everywhere yeah. she also solves any problem that yeah. they have which i don't know how she got tied up in the first place if yeah she how did anyone catch this person anywhere <laughs> yeah she she has the space stone for sure she's tesseracting all over the place Ranulf encounters a gang of thieves in the woods. They pretend to be friendly, asking for directions, when a third hidden man tries to fire an arrow from behind a tree and is struck by Ranulf's crossbow. They pull Ranulf off his horse and tie him to the tree, though I'm not sure how. It looks like they pulled his arms around it, but you can't tie anything to the stump of a hand. I was, yeah, that was my, I was, when he's untying him, I'm like, you didn't have to cut him loose. His, yeah. his, how was his, his hands tied his behind hand the tree? <laughs> it's not possible. They snag a pouch of gold from Ranulf's pocket and propose a contest. Hawk races through the woods with some more dramatic music. The thieves take turns throwing axes at the tree as close as they can to Ranulf's head. And suddenly Hawk appears and demands they cut him down. The men turn their axes on Hawk as he stares at them. The men attack simultaneously, but Hawk throws his mind sword into one of the guy's chests, and then Jack Burton's the other guy's axe right into him. Hawk unties Ranulf unnecessarily, we decided, and then his sword floats back to him from the corpse it was stuck in. Ranulf presents him with the token, and we cut to Voltan interrogating an innkeeper, who tells him that a one-armed man is searching for someone, and Voltan demands to know what when okay. Ranulf finally arrives. I instantly recognized the innkeeper. Yeah. yeah. Because okay. it, from his voice alone, I might not have recognized him, nice him by sight, but yeah. I'm like, that's Veruca Salt's dad. It totally is. <laughs> yeah. I, I, an ear. Yeah, I recognized him by, by sight rather than voice. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, it looks like Mr. Salt. <laughs> yep. What business, you and Salt? Nuts. When he turns to leave, Voltan's men reprimand the local villagers for sitting and eating in Voltan's presence. One of them gets uppity and says he doesn't answer to strangers, and Voltan says he owns everything, including the man's life. And then he kills the other guy sitting at the table to make a point before leaving. <laughs> Your friend has lost his appetite, it seems. The angry villager still hasn't learned his lesson and stands to say, I'm going to tell the hunchback on you. Eh. So Voltan commands his men seize this villager. Say, but you have already said too much. Cut the tongue from his head, it tires me! The innkeeper promises again to notify Voltan if anything unusual happens. We cut <laughs> Outside of some crazy guy yeah. came here and what killed happened two of my so customers. What happened so far was totally normal. Par <laughs> for the course. Also, where is the inn? Is that Shaq, the inn? I guess so. We should be lucky that it's 3D at all. Yeah, it's just paper cutouts. <laughs> We cut back to Ranulf and Hawk, and Ranulf asks Hawk, have you ever crossed swords with Voltan? This triggers a flashback to Hawk's wedding day. Uh-oh. He is kissing his new bride in a courtyard when Voltan interrupts them and whines that he should be marrying Ilion. How could I enjoy them when these festivities should have been for my marriage to Ilion? Ilion was never your betrothed. Voltan thinks Hawk turned her against him, but she insists they were only ever friends. Voltan tells Hawk to watch for him in the night and leaves. You're reading too much into this, Voltan. This is just written by a 10-year-old boy. Like, no, yeah. we're just friends. Yeah. Jeez, leave Voltan me alone. Voltan is, is a hashtag nice guy. Incel. Yeah. Ilian removes her Ankh necklace and drapes it over Hawk as a gift. She says it will protect him, but so far in 1980... I would not accept a lucky necklace gift because 
everybody who gets them dies. Uh, the flashback is punctuated by Randall firing a dozen arrows into a tree with a very tight grouping and in rapid succession, like impossible succession. Yeah. The close-up of this crossbow looks like the close-up of like a freaking Thompson machine gun or something yeah. like that. Yeah. They're literally like just cutting the same weapon. shot yeah, over just, and over again. Which they do a lot in this movie. They yeah. cut it together in post and it just like every time they do one of these shots, it just jumps all over the yeah. place. Hawk tells Ranulf that he needs to collect some more friends. Unfortunately, they will have to pass through the Forest of Weir, which seems to give Ranulf pause. They pass through a gate into the land of Halloween stores. <laughs> the spirit. That's almost my note exactly. But when they so when they walk through the gate, uh, this was one of those jumpy shots again because they like to use fog as opposed to a real set. Yeah. They just have this all filled with fog, and so as soon as they pass through this archway, they disappear. Yeah. And but because the fog is still rolling through the set, the, the whole fog picture changes the position. whole picture like just yeah. jolts. <laughs> and then they walk through this like yeah, like this children's haunted house yeah. that is made almost entirely of cobwebs and mm-hmm. sticks and there's cheesy screams all yeah, along the Yeah, and everything is lit in green. <laughs> yeah. It looks like a maze in a Halloween store. They rely on the light of the mind sword to guide them through this dimension. Wasn't this a thing in the Hobbit? Don't don't they have to pass through the the spidery forest? But it makes you like in this movie he says if you st- if you wander out of the light I won't be able to protect you. Wasn't there like a similar condition with Gandalf when they're going through that forest? That's entirely possible. If I had seen the Hobbit, I would have something to suggest that here. That sounds familiar, but uh, yeah, it's been years since I've read or seen those. There's also like haunted house scream sound yeah. effects peppered through very, the scene very that are, cheesy screams uh, and mm-hmm. then this ridiculous like puppet like yeah. they must be yes. stepping on the same button <laughs> as they walk through because it keeps popping out <laughs> as they move through this dimension though hawk tells randolph of the rest of his team gort a giant from the mountains at the edge of the world crow and elfin bowman from the silver forest now burnt and blackened and balden a dwarf from the iron hills which is obviously uh, very similar to three characters from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, but when they so when they come out the other side of this little pathway, though, like they they literally reused the same way that they walked in. Yeah, they just walk they out. Literally, yeah, they just had them like go and walk the other direction. They didn't move the camera to make it feel like they went, yeah. you know, the other direction. So they're coming right. back out. So you can no hundred eighty degree yeah. roll. Yeah, and so I'm like, did they literally just walk in there for like five seconds and they were like, no shit, bag it, bag it up, guys, we're leaving. We should just be happy they didn't just play it in reverse for them coming out. <laughs> Well, and and the whole thing is pointless because they meet up with the witch immediately. Immediately, and she has warp powers. Yeah, she can just teleport you where you need to go, bro. (laughs) But they move into a cave with her, and she sprinkles some dust on a campfire, and this is where she burned herself at some point on set. Uh, But she also has these two magical rainbow hoops that begin swirling around Hawk (laughs) as he sits. I really liked that. Yeah, it was fun. I was like, okay, this is kind of neat. Yeah, I was good with those. And it becomes part of a... Like, her style is like glowy rainbow magic. Mm -hmm. So it works for me. She warps Hawk to the land of Gort, the giant, and claims that if he's willing, they will return together. We cut to Gort being paid in beer up front to change a tire on a broken cart. It's like the whole wooden wheel has come off. Right, right. And uh, he was given a beer first, and then he has to put the wheel on, and then he gets money after. It was, was was the deal that he made. And it obviously takes him no time at all because he's supposed to be huge. The man tries not to pay him when the job is complete, claiming that 
He'll bring the money back tomorrow. So Gort tosses the man on the ground and breaks the wheel off the cart again. There, now you don't owe me anything. The guy starts whining until a nearby group of white knights, uh, dumb soldiers, decide that the giant isn't being fair and they take up arms against him. He makes quick work of these men with his enormous hammer and then turns his attention on the cart owner again. Hawk appears with the warp sound and together they vanish back to the witch's cave in a flash. Like instantly. Like they don't like he's just like, yeah, I'm coming with you. Got it. There's Here no conversation. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is the MacGruber <laughs> recruit scene. Yeah. And then the second they get back to the cave, Hawk is immediately sent to Crow, where Crow's at. Crow sits on a log and he's selling arrowheads to a local blacksmith. Or I thought he was no, purchasing. He's buying them. Oh, is he buying them? Yeah. yeah. I thought he was making them and selling them to the guy. No, no, the guy came and brought him and then he starts he... putting them on the ends oh, okay. of his arrows. I had it backwards. A couple thieves take note of his gold collection that he's using to buy these arrowheads with and scheme to rob him. One of the men strings up a bow while the other sets about distracting the blacksmith. He offers the man a handsome reward to repair and return a broken cart that they left a half mile down the road. It seems weird to do two scenes in a row about paying giant dudes half in advance to fix broken carts, Mm -hmm. but I didn't write this, so here we go. When the man (laughs) offers... Maybe that was the cart. It's the same one, yeah. (laughs) Our cart's down the road. We tried to trick a giant and then he vanished. (laughs) When the man offers two coins, the blacksmith agrees to leave. The sweet talker of the thieves then approaches Crow. He asks if Crow is competing in the local tournament and introduces himself and his fellow thief. Permit me to introduce ourselves. This is Ralph of Coggershall, Master Bowman, and I am his humble companion, Fitzwalter. He asks the man his name and the voice that comes out is not what I was expecting. To whom do I have the pleasure of addressing myself? Crow. <laughs> Such a wonderful voice. Voice of an angel. And he talks like that for the entire movie. Everyone talks like that. Everyone everyone has no, no one emotion. One person does it. Jack Palance talks like, I am Jack Palance. <laughs> but other than Jack Palance, everyone talks very stoically like, hmm, yes, yeah. tonight there will be blood. And then tomorrow we can watch No Country for Old Men. At the same time he says his name, he pulls his hood back to reveal pointy elf ears. Ralph throws an apple into the air and shoots it out of the sky with an arrow, and Fitzwalter interprets this feat as a challenge to Crow, but Crow is not interested. A second of Ralph's arrows stabs the log that Crow was sitting on, and he stands, angered. They challenge Crow to a wager to make it worth his while. Fitzwalter ties two strings around a tree and collects gold from each competitor. The bowmen will take turns trying to sever the strings, but as Fitzwalter begins the countdown to start, he unsheaths a dagger, intending to stab Crow in the back before they can even get their shots off. Suddenly, another sword enters frame, a mind sword, (laughs) and Hawk commands him to leave the odds as they are. Crow's arrow hits the string first, and he collects his winning. But honestly, it's so close, I'm not even sure that Crow well, won. He could be bullshitting us. Right, but who? But one of the strings doesn't even break. Well, it, it unravels. Yeah. But you're right. It doesn't technically break in the shot. So maybe, maybe that's why Crow won. But at, as Crow is walking away with his winnings, Ralph fires another arrow over his shoulder. Ralph challenges Crow to a duel with bow and arrows and loses predictably. I never even saw it. 
<laughs> reminds me of uh, Shogun Assassin. To hear that sound, but to have it happen to my own neck is ridiculous. <laughs> Crow and Hawk disappear in another flash to the witch's cave. And Fitzwalter just berates his dead comrade. Yeah. Hawk is sent to the location of the third and final missing teammate, Baldin the Dwarf. We find him strapped to a raft and floating on a lake as four men in robes are firing flaming arrows at it like a Viking funeral. Baldin shouts at the men on the shore to stop firing and their leader speaks. Be still, ugly one. It is a great honor to you to die this way. When the raft burns, your ashes will mingle with the holy waters of the lake. And you will become a part of its sacred oneness. Baldin pleads with them to stop firing after one of the arrows actually hits the raft. And in keeping with the pattern, Hawk shows up. And only now does Baldin decide to break free of his bindings on the raft and jump into the water. Hawk asks what he did to deserve this punishment. And Baldin explains that he got drunk and started a few fights. He was hit over the head by a sultry wench and woke up to these guys. Then he needlessly name-checks Gimli, as though he were canon to the Lord of the Rings franchise. He grips his belly and says, There's a hole here as large as the pits of Gimli in the Iron Hills. Which, isn't that where he lived in those in the movie? Didn't he? He lived in the mines. Yeah, but uh, I don't remember where Gimli Which, is. Which, I mean, from. the mines would presumably be hills of iron, and Gimli is just straight up the character's name. Then... Our dwarf character uses a whip to snag a fish from the holy lake and bite its head off. He cracks his whip at the holy men to scare them off before he and Hawk flash to the cave. But he ends up, like, consuming this fish whole, like, pushes the tail down into his throat. Hawk fills in his men on the danger they face, and we have a brief, you have my sword, you have my bow, you have my axe moment. Gort asks how they intend to lure Voltan without the gold, and the witch mentions a nearby river where traders come to buy slaves. I don't understand the next comment, though. It would be fitting justice for his ill-gotten gold to be used for the ways of good. I can only assume that she means stealing from slave owners to collect their bait would be good, but you're not giving him the gold anyway, so why why does he need ill-gotten gold at all? Yeah, that's fair. Randolph says that whatever gets the nun back and hawk says they shouldn't be so quick to trust voltan like not just because he said we give him the gold and he's going to give us the abyss doesn't mean that's really going to happen but they go to get the gold anyway correct we flash back to hawk and his bride and voltan surprises them with a crossbow as they speak in the wilderness that's all we get of the flashback and they're headed back to the church now everyone's on horseback except for balden the dwarf who rides a donkey or a burrow i don't i don't know the difference visually The nuns are excited to see them when they arrive. Hawk leads us back into the rest of the previous flashback, and we see Voltan fire a bolt from his crossbow into Hawk's shoulder. The next one will send you to hell, little brother. And what sweet revenge to tell our whining, beast-loving father of your death. Then will he heed my bidding. He levels the crossbow at Hawk, but the sun is glinting off of his Ankh necklace right into Voltan's eyes, which gives Hawk's wife a chance to stab a flaming log up into his face. Voltan collapses to the ground for so long that she has time to cut Hawk loose and rush him to a nearby boat for them to row away, instead of using the weapons they have on hand to stab this blinded villain rolling around on the ground. As they're floating from shore, Voltan fires a crossbow bolt at the boat, and it hits Hawk's wife in the back, 
and she dies in his arms before we cut back to the church in the present. He warns one of the nuns that Voltan might not give the lady back when they pay him, and she's too upset to even consider that possibility. The nuns serve Gort a full chicken, and Balden convinces him that it might be holy food. What does that mean, holy food? He tells Gort that it might taste strange to him, and so Gort makes Balden eat it. Which is all that he wanted. He just wanted the food. But they're all being served dinner here, so presumably there's plenty of food for everybody. Right. And this ruse was totally unnecessary. It's just to show troll likes food, giant is dumb. Mm-hmm. A big fat slaver with an eye patch. Apparently this is the hunchback, but I didn't even notice that he had a hunchback. Yeah, he seemed um, just like he was a big, just a round guy. Yeah, but he's chugging out of a cup and then shouts a welcome to some incoming traders advertising his slaves. As he talks, his beverage is sloshing out of his mouth disgustingly. Welcome! Welcome, friends! Welcome! Good to see you! I have many fine slaves for you to buy today. And and the, the potential buyers seem unimpressed with his yes. stock. Hawk and his team listen from behind a row of trees, and the traders do not seem impressed with the merchandise. <laughs> not as good as last time, Thomas. What? Indeed. What do you say? Look at the fine biceps in this one here. Look at that. Hawk steps out of the woods up to the hunchback and tells him that he needs help stealing the gold from the boat that the traders floated in on. The man thinks it's a joke until Hawk's team straight murders everyone here to buy slaves. For some reason, the only two traders who expressed any interest in buying slaves are spared in exchange for freeing the slaves. Hawk throws one pouch of gold to the slaves to pay their way home. Gort strings up the hunchback slaver character, and uh, he basically ties up his spiked mace so that it's hanging from a tree above his face. And then he puts the other end of the rope in the guy's mouth so that if he opens his mouth, the spiked mace will crush his head. I advise you to stay silent. One word from that foul mouth of yours and... He can't even stay quiet for as long as it takes them to leave the camp and his face is smashed in. Well, we don't get to see it. Though. Right. We just see the thing We drop. We presume it happens because he stops talking. That would require at least fake blood. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't they just heaven's gate it? Just cut open one of your horses and there you go. rub its blood all over this guy's face. We cut to Voltan's camp, where his second-in-command, his son Drogo, is demanding some sort of action be taken because he's bored. Voltan threatens to kill Drogo and then throws him against a wall. And then Drogo starts to draw a dagger to kill his father when Voltan warns him that if he draws it one inch further, he'll be a dead man. Drogo sneaks out of the tent and Voltan nearly removes his helmet before he remembers that his hostage, the abbess, is in a cage right over there. But she's able to notice his ailment and offers to help since she is learned in curing such afflictions. There is no cure for this face. What's wrong with your face? Out in the woods, Drogo encounters the runaway slaver that was given a chance to tell their story. He informs Drogo that Hawk and his team of warriors have killed the hunchback slave salesman and stolen his gold. He tells Drogo that they're headed to the sanctuary. Drogo makes plans to impress his father by heading to the sanctuary without him to kill Hawk and retrieve the gold. So what I'm gathering here is that the monastery, Voltan, the slavers, the inn are all within like 
a mile of each other. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but all of these clearings where every single scene takes place are the same clearing. Yeah. yeah. They totally are. They have the same trees around every shaft. Yeah, the one that he gets tied around is the same one that they uh, put every single character up against the tree. It's always the same tree. It's yeah, the same the, tree the that the arrow mace fell contest, The same place where the flashback wedding scenes take place. Yeah. <laughs> we can't go anywhere else, guys. We're supposed to be camping here. This is, this is camp spot number 54. We yeah. <laughs> we can't move into the 53 area. Drogo makes plans to impress his father by heading to the sanctuary alone to kill Hawk and retrieve the gold. He kills the man who told him that they're headed there to keep the secret safe. We cut back to Voltan, consulting with the wizard in the red cave again. The wizard zaps his face to numb the scarring. And then back at the sanctuary, the same nun that we've been dealing with is certain that this gold will do the trick and they can trust Voltan to hand over the abyss. She asks the warriors to leave before Voltan gets here, and they refuse. Hawk tells Balden to check the building to see how easily it can be defended during an attack. I feel like you should have done that the second you got here. Yeah. Because you knew you were going to have to fight somebody. But it only takes him like three seconds to do anyway. He just kind of looks around the room and goes, yeah, stand over there. You're good. Yeah, this, uh, yeah, this is. it's just really this room. Yep. Later, we see Balden eating from a small satchel, and Gort demands some of his snack. After he tries one, Balden tells him that they are sugared turkles. And he says, oh, but you know what? You guys probably call them lizard eyeballs. And then Gort gets up and hands the satchel back to throw up because he's so disgusted by it. Well, you're about to reveal that they're candied nuts. Yes. And if butts were candied nuts. Yes. Well, I was going to say, if I ate a torkle and it tasted like a candied nut, I'd just keep eating them. I yeah. don't care that they're lizard eyeballs. That yeah. sounds delicious. You could tell me it this tastes- is... This is sun-glazed spider jizz. And I'd be like, it's really good, whatever it is. Yeah, I'm like, if you gave me, yeah, a bag of lizard eyeballs and they tasted as good as, like, you know, candy pecans, I'm like, give me more. Yeah, great. Give me some more lizards. I am going to go out and catch more lizards. (laughs) You just admitted that you liked them. Drogo and his men approach the sanctuary, but Crow is standing guard outside and hears them coming from a ways off. He moves inside to announce the attack. We get a little bit of an Ennio Morricone score here as uh, Drogo is about to kick in the doors of the sanctuary. From the doorway, it appears that Hawk is defending this building alone because everyone else is hidden in the alcoves. But Drogo already knows that there's a lot more people here because the guy told him there was a whole team with Hawk. Yeah. Hawk tells Drogo that he can have the gold when he delivers the abbess and Drogo delivers a message. I am no messenger. But I will give you a message. The message of death! (laughs) (laughs) The rest of the team pops out from the sidelines, but none of them seem necessary because Crow and Ranulf are handling this crowd by themselves. It seems unusual to have two characters whose thing is... So overpowered. Arrows in rapid succession. Yeah. They're the Captain Marvel of this universe. Yeah. Because the two of them are able to completely clear this room by killing 30 people at the same Mm -hmm. time. Where the other guys are just in club fights and sword fights that last, you know, all of 30 seconds per person. And they're Mm -hmm. not even killing the guys. They're just pushing them back. The dumb nun is mad that they didn't give him the gold in exchange for nothing because he didn't even bring the abbess. So they clearly wouldn't have gotten anything in exchange for the gold. You should have given him the gold. He would have returned the abbess and left us to live in peace. The peace of the dead. Drogo is carried back to his father injured. He manages to tell Voltan that Hawk 
and the gold are waiting in this sanctuary before he dies. Voltan shouts his name to the heavens and then forces two nearby soldiers to fight to the death around his son's corpse for some reason. Instead, together they plan a joint attack on Voltan, and one is very quickly dispatched with a thrown dagger. When the other tries to surrender and run away, Voltan shoots him in the back, or throws a spear at the guy, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We see them lighting a funeral pyre on the water with his son on the top and the two dead soldiers stacked underneath him. We get more shots of the team waiting in the sanctuary. There's a lot of these peppered into the edit. Yeah. From inside the building this time, Crow is able to hear Voltan's horse approaching. He's able to make the determination that Voltan is approaching alone. They meet him outside and Voltan adjusts the agreement slightly. If he's not given the gold and Hawk, that he will return the abbess with her intestines wrapped around her neck. And this place shall be wiped from the face of the land. Again, the nun complains to Hawk for not paying them the gold already. We get another flashback of Hawk's wife dying in his arms. In case it wasn't clear that she died. Right. We saw her get stabbed in the back, but we didn't hold on it for long enough. Hawk dispatches Crow to find the witch, and he returns with her that night. They ask her a favor. (laughs) Can you deus ex machina the hell out of this movie for the rest of the movie, please? We need your infinite powers. At a clearing in the forest, the witch drops two glowing rainbow stones, and suddenly Crow is firing arrows into the fog, and we're seeing silhouettes drop dead. The entire fight scene plays out under such thick gray mist that I have no idea what's going on, and I'm just having to judge from the weapons I see. Like, Mm -hmm. that looks like a mind sword, that looks like a giant's club, but I don't know what's happening or who's dying. Hawk finds Voltan's tent and moves inside to find the abbess in a cage within, But Voltan is there, and he says, if you come one step closer, I will slit her throat. And so they all go back to the sanctuary. Yep. All the way back 20 feet to the sanctuary (laughs) on the other side of this uh, campsite. As they await the next attack from Voltan's forces, the dumb nun sneaks out to make a deal with Voltan behind all their backs. The abbess urges her against this action, but the nun has made up her mind. We see the main characters waiting again, and the giant and dwarf are fighting over some food again. Gort is reluctant to split his food with Balden, but he does it. In the morning, we see the nun pouring white powder into a glass of beer for the giant. He drinks it and passes out, and this is where he injured himself on the stage wall when he fell back, because the costume was real metal, and it dug into his neck when he fell down. Oh, I figured he hit his head when he fell. No. Voltan admits that the nun helped them, and the dumb nun says, but you promised you wouldn't hurt anybody. Voltan promptly stabs her. Hawk and his men are all lined up. Voltan accuses Hawk of having stolen his wife and killed his son. And then Voltan, the Jack Palance character, throws a dagger into the table and stabs it pretty cleanly into the table. I was impressed by the shot. I wonder how many takes this took. But this is also where he admits that his son isn't his son. Right. Just, Just about there, yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Did I preempt it? No, it's good. If I haven't mentioned it already, Voltan is wearing a helmet that obscures half of his face and we learn here that this is to hide the scar from when Ilian put a log near his face for like two seconds okay and i have an issue with this because obviously this is the thing that's causing him this excruciating pain and so i've been waiting this whole movie to find out to what find it is. out what crazy magic did something to his face that is you know continuing to cause him pain it's like you just got burned buddy but his face never like, even caught fire 
It was yeah. just fire was close to his face but even for she, less than a second. But even if she did put a log in his eye, like this isn't some magical, crazy, yeah. horrible curse that it wouldn't has happened hurt to forever. you. forever. No. Yeah. Like why do you need a witch with a magic, you know, stone to cure you? It's an MLM. They're just tricking him into coming back. <laughs> it's It was a fire lit by love. It's like it's like the Harry Potter scar. It was like, oh, it's just like it's so permanent because it was an act of love. Does that, that hurt him though? Harry Potter scar? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. It hurts when Voldemort's nearby. Oh, so it's like a little Voldemort alarm. Yeah. Interesting. I should see those movies at some point. <laughs> I've seen them all. As a result of this facial scarring, he's been unable to find a wife and was forced to adopt Drogo because he literally, he thinks that his face is so ugly that he can't get a woman and that it's not because he's a total incel psychopath. <laughs> if Emperor Palpatine get a, can get a yeah. woman, then Well, we he... don't know how that worked out either. That could have been a slave or something too. Hawk points out that Voltan actually killed Elion and their father. And then Voltan asks Hawk, where's the gold? How you doing there, Bozo? Give me the gold. Oh, I don't know why he cares where the gold is. I don't think his plan requires any gold, and he could steal gold from anyone he wanted to. <laughs> These wizard treatments are expensive. Yeah, I haven't seen anybody charge him for anything in this movie. Voltan says that his friends will tell him where the gold is, and Hawk says they don't know where the gold is. I hid it myself. Ha <laughs> Voltan intends to torture everyone here for the information. Bring all the wine and food in your store's counter of beads. I have... Voltan's men carry a pit of glowing embers into the sanctuary, and Voltan approaches Hawk with a red-hot iron bar. The dwarf interrupts this torture to announce that he can tell Voltan where the gold is hidden. When Voltan leans in close for the answer, Baldin kicks him with both legs and is promptly stabbed in return. Voltan's men take a break to eat, and they hear Baldin moan, implying he wasn't completely killed by this stabbing. Voltan rushes off to seek the wizard's counsel for another crystal anesthetic zapping, and left alone with a single guard, our warriors lament being tied up when suddenly the two-by-four blocking the door just floats up into the sky on its own <laughs> magically. A confused guard just watches the board as it lifts into the sky, and then a small tube is poked through the door at his face. <laughs> when it fires, the guard is splashed with 15 pounds of silly string, <laughs> Which is yeah. the cheapest special effect in the whole movie. Oh, it was amazing. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but he freezes in place when this happens. The witch enters and unties everyone. The guard in Silly String is just standing in the background completely coated in it, but he's not allowed to move for this scene. All of the men leave with the witch, and they regroup in the woods. The witch says she can't do anything to help Balden, and he tells them not to worry that this is how he chooses to die before succumbing to the stabbing from Voltan. They leave his corpse in a small bubble filled with glowing strawberries. They head back to the sanctuary where the witch orchestrates a distraction in the form of a tornado filled with glowing multicolored ping pong balls. Yeah. When it bursts into the church, it throws these balls in all directions, confusing the guards, but also giving them a heads up that an attack is on the way. <laughs> the tornado is immediately followed by an enormous blizzard, and eventually the warriors enter. As usual, Crow is killing like 30 people for every one guy that anyone else gets. But the two guys with swords and clubs are just wasting everybody's time. I think Randolph takes a knife in the back, but yeah. I'm not clear because there's still a blizzard going on. Yeah, he is definitely killed. 
One of the nuns intercepts a sword to save the giant and dies in his arms. I think that's the one that betrayed all of them. No, she's no, already she's dead. already dead. Could be the same actress, though. I, I wouldn't put it past them. Outside, suddenly, Hawk is facing off one-on-one -on -one with the mind sword against his brother, Voltan. Hawk takes the abbess out of the monastery and then heads back in to fight his brother. Right. Voltan says that on his command, the three nuns that are left will be hung and the giant will be stabbed through the heart. Yeah, yeah, because so, yeah, while Hawk was gone, the fight turned bad. Crow, crow's knocked out, the the giant's detained, and Ranoff is killed. So. Yes. He demands Hawk throw the sword on the ground, and Hawk follows the instructions. And then he makes Hawk remove his armor and gives him a chance to pray. And, then, uh, and I, I meant to bring this up earlier. It seems very strange in, in this world of mind stones and dwarves and elves that there's still just a church to God. Uh, like yeah. A Catholic church is still in just the normal, the normal church of this world. There aren't gods, even though there are we, witches. We and don't really wizards. know what the denomination is. Yeah. Well, it, with abbots and I don't know. It just, Costellos. it just, <laughs> I'm just, I mean, they're just using terms that are familiar to us, which you use in fantasy movies all the time. It doesn't necessarily mean that it relates to that I, way I, it exists in this world. I, I, I see your point. It's just that, that they, they referring to the one God just makes it seem like you're angling for that one. It's God. the same problem I have with the MCU universe where anyone goes to church anymore, even though there's mind stones and also Thor the Norse god has shown up in person and has been <laughs> captured on camera. Why is everyone not Norse right. in the second Avengers movie? <laughs> but Hawk is here praying uh, for his life when Voltan recognizes the Ankh necklace that Elian gave him. Suddenly it occurs to him that this is the necklace that blinded him that day before he was uh, permanently scarred. And he tells Hawk to stop and Hawk presses a button on the Ankh to eject a blade from the necklace, and then he throws the blade across the room to cut the chains that are holding Gort up. So then Gort is able to beat up the people that are guarding him and break himself free. Hawk floats his sword back into his hand and then begins a, finally a real sword fight with his brother. It's all in slow-mo. The entire sword fight is shot in slow-mo, uh, which makes it much less exciting. <laughs> And oddly more expensive. Yeah. More film is being wasted. Voltan dives toward his brother and Hawk slashes him across the belly, dropping him to the floor. His helmet rolls off and for the first time we see his boiled, scarred face that must have been so much work that they decided to cover it for 90% yeah, of the movie. Yeah, this is the only time the whole movie we see it. Yeah. Like, we don't even see hints of it peeking around right. the corner of the no. mask. They fake us out at one point like he's going to take it off and then he puts his helmet yeah. back on. Like, we've been waiting the whole movie for this, and it is so anticlimactic. Yeah. I, I almost want that scene now where the nun gasps when he starts to take it off. It was just, like, trying her trying to say, we're still in the take. Yeah. Because, like, Jack Malice is like, I take this thing off. And she goes, oh, shit, we're still filming. <laughs> Voltan dies on the floor. The nuns thank Hawk for their assistance, and he leaves with the gold that they could just as easily left with the church here. But they go and take it to the church's boss, the abbot. Yeah. Gort wants to spend it all on food and drink, though, and Hawk gives him this, like, sideways glance, like, uh-uh. We see the translucent wizard float through the sanctuary and collect Voltan's body before disappearing with it. We have further need of you, Dark One. 
Your sleep of death will not last long. And then we see them giving the 2,000 gold to the abbot, and Hawk and Gort plan to head their separate ways until the witch tells them that there's an evil gathering to the south, and the two decide, fuck it, let's go south. And another animated bird flies into the camera, and we kick off the credits. Our writer-director here was Terry Marcel. Amazingly, this wasn't even Marcel's only directing credit in December of this year. (laughs) Though, There Goes the Bride did not, as far as I can tell, get a wide release in the United States. He directed Prisoners of the Lost Universe and Jane in the Lost City. He also directed Second Unit on several Pink Panther movies and Straw Dogs. He's still trying to get the sequel to Hawk the Hunter produced, and his daughter, Kelly Marcel, created the TV series Terra Nova and and wrote the screenplays for Saving Mr. Banks, Fifty Shades of Grey, Venoms 1 and 2, and Disney's upcoming Cruella film. Writer Harry Robertson also co-wrote Prisoners and Jane with director Terry Marcel. He also has lots of music department credits, including theme songs for several TV shows from the 60s and 70s that I did not recognize. He also composed the awful soundtrack for a little film called Hawk the Slayer. (laughs) Jack Palance was Voltan. We had him earlier this year, and without warning, he'll be back in the 80s for Gore and Gore 2, Batman, Tango and Cash, and later he'll appear as Curly and his own brother in the City Slickers films. I feel like I will never be able to watch those the same again after seeing him in this ridiculous role. He can't be the cool, tough guy anymore. If you'd only seen the movies that we've seen this year, you would assume Jack Palance is a terrible actor who would never play a real role in a real movie. But when I was growing up, I knew him mostly from the City Slickers movies or Cops and Robertsons Mm -hmm. or like a couple other movies around the time. And for me, he was just a slightly older Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Yeah. That was how I thought of him. But he's awful in these. It's terrible. I'm like, who, how, what happened? Like, I, I mean, to be honest, aside from like that stuff that, you know, I saw as a kid too, that I was like, this guy's like the cool, tough dude. Like, I mean, he must have, I mean, he was obviously, he was in Shane. Like, he was in like, some classic westerns yeah, oh yeah. before I, I mean, this yeah i was gonna say he must have been in something good or who would have cast him in those other roles yeah because he just <laughs> seems confused in these movies but he seems with it and and intelligent in the city slickers movies. yeah of course yeah john terry played hawk totally worthless character <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this guy emotes less than the trees yeah and I, I forget that he's even in the movie 90% of the time. The sword is more of a character than the guy is. <laughs> he was also in There Goes the Bride. He played Slim in Of Mice and Men. He's Lieutenant Lockhart in Full Metal Jacket. And Felix Leiter in The Living Daylights. He does a mm-hmm. much better job there. Yeah. Uh, he's Charles Therio or Theriot in Zodiac. And Dr. Christian Shepard on Lost. That's right. That's where I knew him from immediately. Bernard Breslau played Gort the Giant. He was the landlord in Jabberwocky and the Cyclops in Crawl. That's right. (laughs) After seeing that incredible visual effect of the wizard's lair, I was like, man, someone from Crawl had to be on this. Yeah. Yeah. And there wasn't any visual effects people from Crawl or any. He just brought the information you're saying. (laughs) Yeah. He smuggled it off set. He also has multiple appearances in the Carry On film franchise. He might actually be in all of them. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Carry On franchise. I was not. It's made up of 31 feature films. It's the longest running 
uh, numerically longest running franchise of huh. British films. I'm assuming it's based on the keep calm and carry on. Possibly. I don't know. But there were 31 films. They're all parody films. And there are also there was a 13 episode television series and a couple Christmas specials. But it ran from 58 to 92. The, all the films and the TV stuff. Huh. And it's spelled like that. Carry on. Carry on. Yeah. yeah. But they're all like carry on and then more words to be like whatever the joke is of that version ray charleston played crow the elf we had him as clausen in hopscotch earlier this year he'll also be back next year as the floor manager in shock treatment an american prisoner in empire of the sun and he is campaigning with the director to get hawk 2 off the ground if we're going to make a sequel to a hawk movie it needs to be hudson hawk yeah and i don't care that we lost danny aiello i mean i do but yeah, yeah. let's bring him back somehow. <laughs> Peter O'Farrell played Baldin the dwarf, uh, who I think was just a short-ish guy. Yeah. Or looked short enough next to a six-foot-seven actor. Right, exactly. Like, the the giant was, was a big guy. Yeah, he dwarfed people. But Peter O'Farrell also played Pox in Legend. He plays Honka in Santa Claus the Movie, and he also appears in Chamber of Secrets as short man Daily Prophet. I think Daily Prophet is the newspaper yeah. Yeah. franchise. William Morgan Shepard was Ranulf. Love William Morgan Shepard. That's right. He's the He's best. Major Trimble in Gettysburg. He's by far the best actor in this movie. 100%. He has almost nothing to do, and he's yeah, still the best I, actor. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. He's the most believable <laughs> performance. He sat and thought for a while there, Richard. <laughs> he's Captain Witwicky in Transformers. He's a Klingon commander in Star Trek VI. He's also Merit in The Prestige. We saw him earlier this year in Elephant Man as Bar Patron, and he'll be back next year in The Sea Wolves. I'm excited for that one. I didn't realize he was in that. Right. And he's Dr. Zito. That's right. Dr. Zito. From MacGyver. Is that a crazy serial killer? I didn't killer? recognize him. He's great. Patricia Quinn was the woman sorceress. I, I think she was a witch. I think she should have been burned at the beginning in accordance with the law of the land. <laughs> Mrs. Williams in The Meaning of Life. She's also Magenta in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, but like you can't recognize her in this movie because she's wearing like this big bandana yeah. of an eyeball across yeah. her face the and, whole time. Yeah, the entire time her face is covered. <laughs> Same with Palance, though. I feel like it's a waste of some of these people. Uh, she's also Dr. Nation McKinley next year in the Rocky Horror sequel, Shock Treatment. Shane Bryant played Drogo. He's Simon Helder in Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. And also Sherlock Holmes versus Frankenstein. Harry Andrews was the High Abbot. He played the innkeeper in Man of La Mancha. He was General Woundwart in Watership Down. He's Second Elder in Superman. Norris in The Big Sleep and Barnstaple in Death on the Nile. He's also R.S.M. Wilson in The Hill with Sean Connery and Harry Dalton in Equus with Peter Firth from our recent Tess review. Roy Kinnear played the innkeeper in this movie. He was Pipkin in Watership Down. He's Algernon in The Beatles' Help. And he's Planchet in The Three Musketeers and Return of the Three Musketeers. But he is best known as being Mr. Salt, father of Veruca, in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Patrick McGee was the priest. He was Ernst Mueller in Rough Cut earlier this year. And Mr. Alexander in Clockwork Orange, the father of the, the lead character. He's also Chevalier du Balabari in Barry Lyndon and Lord Cadigan in Chariots of Fire next year. Ferdy Main played Old Man 
the father of Hawk and Voltan. As we said, he's less than four years older than Jack Palance. He played Rosemeyer in Where Eagles Dare, the leader in Conan the Destroyer, and Captain Lenaris in Pirates, also with Roy Kinnear. He's also the one-eyed man in Warlock the Armageddon, if you've ever seen that one. It's another ridiculous uh, sword and sorcery movie from the 90s, mm-hmm. but uh, it's totally bonkers. Graham Stark played Sparrow. Don't even remember who Sparrow was. Well, that, that's the thing is th- there seems to be some some characters with bird names. Yeah. Like, there's Hawk and Crow and Sparrow. It's like, it's like is it, but it doesn't, it's not enough to create like a theme. Right. And Hawk and, and Crow are not like from the same tribe or anything. Right. Crow is literally the last elf. So if you're going to cre- in- introduce another character also with a bird name. Yeah then there needs to be some kind of theme to this. But Graham Stark played cashier in Casino Royale. He's Hercule LaJoy in A Shot in the Dark and Blind Man in Superman 3. And he'll also be back for Seawolves next year. Warren Clark played Scar. He plays Dim, one of the droogs in Clockwork Orange. He's Colonel Von Horst in Top Secret and Pavel Apenskoy in Firefox. He's also an English gunrunner in Ishtar. Declan Mulholland played Sped. He was Peter Vorstadt in Lethal Weapon 2. He's Father Everett in Daredevil and Dowser in Brazil. Is that right, Dowser? Uh, I think it's I think in the movie they pronounce it Dozer. Oh, okay. he's the guy with Bob Hoskins, the the two repairmen. When they're coming to work on the ventilation. Yeah, he's the one who can't stand the uh, twenty-seven B stroke six. Yeah. He also plays a very old man in Pirates of the Caribbean: Dead Man's Chest. I'm assuming he's like one of the the pirates that was afflicted and then turns back into a person at the end of the movie. John J. Carney plays Soldier. He was Detective Sergeant in Clockwork Orange, and he was Klaus in Top Secret. Ken Perry plays Thomas. He was Rossini in Listomania and Sykes in Life Force and Taylor in The Taming of the Shrew. But uh, yeah, it looks like it could not have cost $100,000. And if it did, that was entirely for palance <laughs> yeah um they reused the same circle of trees probably two dozen times for different scenes the visual effects are are okay for the film they're they're excusable um it doesn't need a sequel necessarily especially if it's going to be like even more vaguely written than the first one was like it's one thing if it's like George Miller working on a sequel for decades and he has a brilliant idea for it, but if it if you're literally calling your elf Bowman in the second movie, I don't I don't have to see that. That's fine. Yeah, it was. It, I mean, it it was a really bad movie. Um, but it's but, ban- bad in a fun way. But it's funny. I mean, like I was cracking up at how bad and it was funny. It was yeah. so it was so bad it was funny, but at the same time. It's not, it's not necessarily the kind of movie that I'd be like, hey, you guys should all watch this because yeah, no. it's hilariously terrible. Yeah. Like I think it, I need think it needed to be a little bit more bad to, yeah. and ridiculous all around just to be one of those movies that you're like, oh my god, this like, why haven't they done this on Mystery Science Theater kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. Although I think they did. Did they do this one for Hawk the Slayer? Yeah, mm, of course. Or at least it got a um a riff, a riff track, track or something. I bet it did. But yeah, um, for me. Oh, it's hard. This is like as close to a sideways 
yeah as i've had in a while yeah i i mean i agree with that because it's 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 on the verge of being an up because it's ridiculous i'm gonna give it the benefit of the doubt and say it's a thumbs up it's worth watching if what you know about it is that it's a it's battle beyond the stars budget or even no, less than less battle beyond than the yeah. a tenth of battle beyond the stars budget for a magnificent seven story in medieval times instead of the future yeah i think i'm gonna give it an up just with the with the caveat of saying like well, if you want to laugh or get stoned and watch something like yeah try this <laughs> yeah this will work as a great double feature with uh with um your highness It'd be a good double feature with your highness <laughs> oh, i think even your highness had a better better stuff on this yeah yeah that's what i i think this would be the lead-in obviously it mm. just gets you prepped and then the second movie takes it to the comedic levels <laughs> i love david gordon green though yeah up or down, Richard? Um, I will give it a down with a caveat. Because we both yeah. gave it up. <laughs> because. So like, it's got enough. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's why I'm giving it a down. Yeah. Uh, it needs it needs to, to bring it down a notch. Uh, but also with a caveat of that I I feel like this is definitely a movie that some people I know would like. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for sure. But it's certainly not a movie that I, in, in the grand scheme of like movies I need to recommend. Numbers. What are we looking at, Richard? Uh, I have this at number 88. All right. Uh, just below Humanoids of the Deep and just above Prom Night. All right, Jessica. I have this at 86. All right. It is just below A Change of Seasons and above The Hollywood Nights. I have it at 84. <laughs> <laughs> we're all right there in the mid to late 80s. It's it's And we're doing like 160 odd, yeah. odd yeah. movies yeah. this year. This is right in the middle. Yeah. For me, it's just below Fade to Black and just above The Apple. Because yeah. I feel like I would actually rather watch this than watch The Apple again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's everything we had for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing 9 to 5 which IMDb describes like so. Three female employees of a sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot find a way to turn the tables on him. <laughs> we leave you now with the trailer for 9 to 5. What a way to make a living. 20th Century Fox presents a tribute to anyone who has ever been overworked, underpaid, and pushed to the edge by an ungrateful boss. <laughs> They arrive promptly at nine, because if they're not on time, they know they'll get the sack. But before they begin the daily grind, the boss takes his cup black. They remember each date, make sure he's not late, and keep everything organized. They reserve tables for brunch or a three martini lunch while they dine on burgers and fries. This road. 
They listen to all his problems. They do their best to please. And even if they run the show, he gets paid for their ideas. Great work. And so long as he's alive, from nine to five, they'll take it all they can. But what will go on when the light finally dawns that it's time to get back at that man? Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and Dolly Parton, 9 to 5.